0: You are listening to Agent Court Church's Audio Podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to
1: All share a common destiny: the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life, in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth, to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them, I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge seeds' works against it. Now, there lived in the city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom, but nobody remembered the poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. Thanks,
0: Dave. Thanks, group. What are you waiting for? You waiting for your world to change? Do you turn on the TV or browse the internet and go to Google News or BBC and are you waiting for things to change? you waiting for injustice to change? Well, you're not alone. The writer of Ecclesiastes was waiting for the world to change. We're in the last week of this four-week series on that book, a book that can be confusing when you first enter it until you understand the context of it. The word Ecclesiastes is actually a Latin word, and it's the translation of the Hebrew word we learned in week one of this, koaleth. And koaleth is the name of the person who writes the book. It's written in the first person. He's a skeptic. It's the only book written in Scripture that's based on a, from a skeptic's point of view. And Koholeth has written this book. And Koholeth literally means teacher or philosopher. And he asks a lot of great questions. And one of the reasons why I love this book, and I have since I was a young adult, is because he's unique in his skepticism. He's not unique in this first part. He doubts his beliefs. He doubts his beliefs, and I think that's not unique. I think there will be many people in this room, we've all doubted our beliefs at some point. Many of us who've made decisions even to follow God, it's because we doubted some of our beliefs of what we knew before we knew God. Here's what makes him unique, though. He not only doubts his belief, he doubts his unbelief. He finds himself in a place of a skeptic, and he's skeptical at his own skepticism. So here's my invitation. If you're in this room today, wherever you might have been on that spectrum, that spiritual spectrum that Pastor Dan talked about. Listen, maybe maybe if you have some unbelief and skepticism, that's good. These things can lead to truth. But I want to encourage you, don't just doubt belief. Doubt unbelief. Is that really the pathway because the writer of Ecclesiastes would say if life is, if it's just lived under the sun in this life, and this is all the life we have to live, that maybe the problem of injustice in this world is one we can't fully answer. The big question we're going to answer as he looks at the spiritual truths, this last issue in this last week is, what do you do with the injustices in this world? Because for many people, that's their biggest spiritual impediment to faith in God, meaning in this life, next steps towards a creator. Because they push back and I get it. You look at this world and you think, if this world is so broken, how can there be life above the sun? Where's God in all of this mess? So before we jump into where we're going to be today, which is Ecclesiastes chapter 9, you can look that up on your phone if you want while we're doing a little of the intro, or you can, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I want to give you three justice truths that are really appropriate in considering the culture. Let's talk justice briefly before we talk about injustice. And the first one is this. In our culture, justice, hashtag love it, love it. This culture, like few others, this age that we're in, everybody loves justice. Everybody wants justice served. It seems to be a moment in time where people are being held accountable. And there's a justice element that our society and culture is applauding. So on social media, maybe you've even participated. Leaders are being held accountable. Organizations, institutions are being held held accountable. Religious institutions are being held held accountable. Men are being held accountable for their actions. And here's the interesting thing. The culture loves justice like few other times in human history. Uh, Well, let me correct that. They love justice towards other people, not towards themselves. No, 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 we don't want justice, we want mercy. But we do want justice for other people, don't we? It's what the great Canadian folk singer, Bruce Coburn, said it this way. Everybody wants justice until it happens to them. And all of a sudden, we don't want justice anymore. We want mercy. So justice, we love it, but we don't really love it towards us. And here's what happens. This means in our culture, in some ways, we're just moving the dirt from one side of the road to the other. Some of the things that are being done to hold people accountable, these are good things, actually. There are some really needed corrections in culture and society. But, if we won't own our stuff, if we're not prepared to see our part in the injustices in this world, either the past injustices or the emerging injustices, really, how much justice is happening? Because we all have a part to play. So, first one, justice. Hashtag? Love it. Next one, justice, hashtag equal treatment. Now, the Bible, when it talks about justice, talks about equal treatment for all human beings. It's very stark in Leviticus 23. There's a command that's given there that says, you are to have the same law for the foreigner and the native born. I'm the Lord, your God. There's a bunch of commands in the book of Leviticus and they all end with, I'm the Lord your God. It's kind of like God giving his stamp, like this is official. This was a radical command for that culture. So those who were born entitled in their culture were to have the same rights and privileges of those who are new in the culture. So part of us goes, is that fair? In our culture, it's radical, let alone their culture. The idea was every human being mattered. They're all equal, and they deserve equal justice. But it goes further than that, because it's not just hashtag justice love it, hashtag justice equal treatment. It's also hashtag special treatment in the Bible. Widows, orphans, fatherless, the marginalized, they receive special treatment in the Scripture. Proverbs 31 says this, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. There is a command there that we're to speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. So it's not quite equal treatment, actually. It doesn't say in the Bible, speak up for men. It says speak up for women that are poor, which were widows in that culture. If you are a widow, you're often left destitute, and it says to speak up for them. It doesn't say, speak up for families. It says, speak up for the fatherless in the Bible. It doesn't say, speak up for the powerful and the successful. It says, speak up for the marginalized. So, so let's play a little game. Do you have a thumb? Okay, most, most of us do today. Can you hold it up? Just hold your thumb up, if you would. When I make a statement, if you agree with it, hold it up. If you don't, put it down, okay? So let's practice. You, you got to hold it up. And if not, put it down. What I don't want is this. That's not yes, no. That's like a maybe so. Okay. Here's the first statement I'm going to make. Okay. Does God love and value successful and powerful people? Oh, okay. Almost 100%. Wow. The last service, I did have a few of these. And I had a couple of those. They forgot the instructions. Okay, okay. Does God love and support families? Okay, okay. Now, this is the tough one. God loved men? Okay. Some of you can't decide. Here's what the Bible says to all of those. Yes, yes, and yes. Of course God loves men. Of course he loves rich and powerful people. Of course he loves families. These things are all important. But the Bible does say that there is special treatment for those who are being left behind. Special treatment for those who have been marginalized. Special treatment for those who have been forgotten. Special treatment for those who are getting hit or hurt. Special treatment for them. Why? Because if it's not about equality if some people are being pushed down. They need extra special treatment to come back up. So, in this culture of justice right now, there are going to be people that feel like they're winning and people that feel like they're losing. The Bible's very clear. Equal justice for all. And when it's not been equal, special treatment for those so that it can become equal. So, justice truths. So, he's dealing with injustice in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And he's struggling. Because he's seen the injustices of this world and he's saying, if, look at the injustice Where is God in the middle of this? How do you reconcile it? And he starts in chapter nine by identifying the two major injustices that rub us the wrong way. And the first one is random injustice. Random injustice. Those unexpected and unmerited, undeserved injustices that happen to some people in this life. He says it this way. The race is not for the swift, the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealthy to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, as fish are caught in a cruel net and birds are taken in the snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. For all of us in this room, when we see these random injustices in life, we start to feel very insecure, even if they didn't happen to us. Because they happen to some people, People get shot on the Danforth. Terrible. Even if you're not closely attached to it, you begin an insecurity. You're like, what has this world come to? I wrote down a couple of the headlines this last week. Toronto Fire, a respo- uh, fire crew responds to a four-alarm high-rise blaze. Random. Cambridge woman killed in Wisconsin in a car crash. Last night, I called it a car wash. It was a car crash. Four killed in a deadly shooting in New Brunswick. A bomb that killed 40 children in Yemen was supplied by the US. And the writer of Ecclesiastes, Coeleth, he can't reconcile this. That no matter who you are, no matter how important you are, no matter how significant you are, no matter where you are, random injustices happen and they're horrible. Children die suddenly, suddenly there's a catastrophe. You might be fast, but you might still lose. You might be brilliant, but you might not succeed. Because life doesn't move in a straight line. You know, for everyone in this room, when you see random injustice and you think, that's not going to happen to me. Why? Well, I'm, I'm living my life well. I'm doing good. I come to church. I, I do this. I do that. I can control the outcome of my life. If you think you're in control, you know what you are? Very, very young because the longer you live, you start to realize there are uncontrollable elements in life, that there is sometimes a randomness that happens in the injustices in life. And this sits very heavy on Koheleth, the writer of Ecclesiastes, the philosopher. So there's random injustices, and they happen to some people, but they disturb all of us, even if they don't directly affect us. But some of you have experienced those random injustices. But then he kind of says, well, enough with just some people, let's talk about all people because there's an absolute injustice he talks about. This absolute injustice, random injustice happened to some people, absolute injustice happens to all people, all people. Here's how he says it. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not, as it. Is with the good so with the sinful as it is with those who take oaths so with those who are afraid to take them he's saying if this is all there is to life under the Sun this is all we have there's nothing above the Sun there's no God and Creator this is the evil in everything that happens under the Sun for the living know that they will die but the dead know nothing they have no further reward and even their name is forgotten keyword their love their hate their jealousy their law that have long since vanished never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun now he says a mouthful here he's saying more than the, you know is this not an injustice when when good people get bad things and bad people get good things that's that's unjust isn't it when good people get bad things and bad people are getting good things Don't you see the unjust nature of that? But he goes even deeper here. He says no matter how you've lived your life, been a liar, a cheat, a murderer, if you're the terrorist or you're the child, everything you do will vanish. Everything will be forgotten. If this is all there is to life, it doesn't matter how you live the life, he's saying, it'll all be forgotten. I'm a pensive person in life, and this bothers me a lot. Uh, If you follow me on Instagram, you've seen this photo. This photo is a picture of the house my mom grew up in, in a rural area in New Brunswick that none of you would know, called Pleasant Ridge. And this home is now, it's not even, looks like that. There's nothing there now. People drive by that, and there's no memory of who lived there. But, you know, what seems wrong in all of that is my grandfather, Fred McKnight, built that house. He was the first man in that whole community that brought running water into a home that had never been done there. He, my mom was born in a house not too far from that lower Millstream, New Brunswick, a place none of you would know, and that's okay, but it's gone. All his hard work, he sacrificed for his family. My grandmother cooked so many meals of love for her family there. How many times was that house cleaned? Memories of my mom there. And it's forgotten. Now, that's my story. None of you need to remember that, but that's how life goes. Earlier this week, Shelley and I were with uh, Pastor Keith and Esther Smith, and we were reminiscing. We were talking about some of the people who have meant a lot to us in our lives. And we both got talking about a a man that many of you would know, some of you wouldn't. His name was Charles Yates in this church. He had a significant impact on my life because as a young pastor, we would have coffees together, read books together. He was so generous. He was a little British guy about yay tall. When I, I, I remember seeing him when I was a teenager, but I was, he was on a platform, and I thought he was, he was a tall man until one day I, when I joined the staff here and I walked up to him and I, went and I looked at him and I thought, whoa, he is short. <laughs> but if you knew him, he was a giant, a giant of integrity, giant of character, and he gave. Pastor Keith began to talk about a man named Don Kaufman. He attended this church for years. He was a missionary in China and Japan, brought the gospel, spoke fluent Japanese and Mandarin. And he would sing at our choir. And, and you know, these, these men are going to be forgotten. It seems wrong. Why? This is the meaninglessness. If there's just life under the sun... This, if this is all there is to it, what does it matter? He would say, the writer of Ecclesiastes would say that nothing makes everything you do meaningless. If this world means nothing, if there's, if there's just nothingness at the end of our lives, if there's just a cosmic forgottenness that awaits every human being, as the writer of Ecclesiastes is contending there is, because under the sun, this life would feel meaningless. Now, if you've taken philosophy 101, you're familiar with this line of thinking. And right away, you're thinking, he's being a little gloomy. And he kind of knows we're going to go there. Because we want to avoid these questions, right? But he asks hard questions to lead us to hard places to find hard truth. And he says this. He says in verse 7 to 9, he said, okay, go ahead. Don't think about it. Eat. Your food with gladness. Drink your wine with joyful heart. Always be clothed in white. That's kind of the party color there. Be clothed in white. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of your meaningless life. What he's saying is, listen, go ahead. Live your life then. Live your life as this. this is all there is. Get the most pleasure out of life. Find joy in your work. Find sex. Uh, sex. Success? Well, only if you're married. Jesus, forgive me. (laughs) Find success in this life. Do all of these things. Find pleasure in life. And then in the end, you will not be able to hold back the meaninglessness because it comes to all of us. Why? Because we all get old. We all lose our beauty. We lose our memory. We lose our sensation. And if this life is all there is to live, we lose everything. And if that is true, then why bother? Now, where's the hope, Pastor? Random injustice, absolute injustice. You have us sufficiently depressed right now. Here's the interesting thing. In chapter 9, the writer of Ecclesiastes gives us two clues. One that satisfies the mind that's grappling with the greater issues of injustice in God in this world, and one that satisfies the heart. But true to form in Ecclesiastes, remember, he asks questions. He doesn't give you answers. He clues you. He gives you clues that lead to these answers. So what's the mind answer? What's the mind answer? It's found in verse four in a small little verse there. It says this, a live dog is better off than a dead lion. How many are dog lovers here? Okay, so just look, at that, look around, hold your hand up. It's all the righteous people. Now, how many people love cats? Indeed, okay. I'm joking. I'm joking. I always have cat people to come up to me after, listen, I love your cats too, I'm just glad they're yours. Okay, the live dog is better off than a dead lion. What he's doing is he's building a contrast in the ancient culture that people would have understood immediately there. A dog was not like Fido that you love. It wasn't like a Labrador, we think of a Labrador or a Cock or Spaniel or some kind of cute little fluffy rover. No, 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 dogs were wild, they were scavengers. They were the lowest form of animal in the ancient culture. They would eat the garbage of a community. They would even eat cadavers, dead bodies. Uh, If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you remember the story of an ancient evil queen named Jezebel. She falls out of a window onto the ground and the dogs, you're thinking of lunch right now, well, they had lunch. They had lunch. And the philosopher's contrasting, and he's saying this better to be a live dog, liar, murderer, scavenger, than a dead lion, even if you lived a noble life. He's saying it's better to have done that. If life, if it, it, it and he's being rational and logical. If this life is all there is, well, then you hold on to it as long as you can by any means necessary. In fact, he says in verse 5, For the living know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and their name is forgotten. Saying if all we are, we're going to die and rot, and our lives are just an accidental collision of certain molecules that brought us about, then he would say this, if that's true, then you have no real purpose in life if there's not life above the sun. And if there's no purpose in life, how can there be a right and wrong? How can there be something that's just and unjust? How can you get angry at injustices in this world if there is no right and wrong, if this life is all there is? Now, you're saying, Jonathan, how do you make that leap? There's this great Scottish philosopher, uh, Alasar uh, McIntyre, he says this, goodness is always connected to purpose. That you can't have a sense of good or bad without a sense of purpose. And he illustrates it this way. He said, imagine somebody gives you a watch, and you've never, you've never seen one before. You have no idea what it is, but they give you a watch. And someone comes along and says, hey, is that a good watch? You would answer, well, I don't know. What's it for? Because if you don't know what it's for, you can't tell whether it's good or bad, can you? You need to know it's purpose. If, if you think it's a hammer and you're driving nails with it, you'll quickly determine it's, it's a bad watch. It's not a very good watch. But if it's purpose and it was designed to keep time, you might say, yeah, good watch. So change the narrative. Somebody points a human being out to you and says, is that a good human being? Now, if humans are just an accident that their beginning is insignificant and their destination is insignificant, If, if you, when you look at humanity, that there's no purpose for our lives beyond life under the sun, how can you determine what's good or bad? If this life is all there is, where do you get that sense of something being just or unjust in this world? Where does that come from? How can you say it's bad to hurt people in this life if this life is all there is? It's survival of the fittest, the strong eat the weak. If this life is all there is, there can't be good and bad. But here's the contradiction. This is the big contradiction when people say, listen, I'd believe in God, life above the sun, if I didn't see such injustice in this world. Here's the problem. And here's the contradiction, even in that line of thinking. We don't believe in life above the sun because of the injustices we see under the sun, right? We see all these things go wrong. But if there is no God, and there's no basis then for any outrage against injustice, because where are you marking when something's right or wrong? You know what we resort to? Our feelings. Well, it doesn't feel right, or it feels wrong. Have you ever tried to debate somebody on the feelings basis? You're never going to win that. I was thinking this week, 15 years ago, what was right and wrong in our culture that now was absolutely right? And what is absolutely right today and what is absolutely wrong today, it'll change over the next 10 years. It'll keep changing and keep shifting. Because it's not anchored to some absolute truths. See, he's saying and he's appealing to your mind and he's saying this evil is a problem if you're a believer. Certainly is. What are you going to do with the injustice in the world? That demands an answer. But he would say this it's an even bigger problem if you're not. How can you even have a sense of outrage about anything being right or wrong? It's all up to the individual, it's your specific idea. You have no basis for injustice, no basis for your outrage, unless there is a just judge. Now, many of us, when it comes to the mind answer, that's not where you're at. For many of us, we need a hard answer to this question. What do we do with the injustices in this world? And the interesting thing in Ecclesiastes is he does something he doesn't do in the rest of the book. I don't know if you noticed it when Diosa on the video read uh, chapter 9, but at the very end, verses 13 to 16, he tells a story. He doesn't tell the story. He's not a storyteller. He's a questioner, and he's driving questions at you to d- drive you to hard places so, you, so you'll find a hard truth. But he tells a story, and it starts out like this. He says this, I also saw under the sun an example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. Now remember, he's perhaps one of the wisest men on the planet. And he sees a type of wisdom. And the Hebrew word for impressed here is weak in the English. Because really what it means, it confounded him. It amazed him. It mystified him. He saw this story of wisdom and it blew him away. Here's what he saw. There was once a small city with only a few people in it and a powerful king came up against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. So get the imagery. Small city, very few people in it, powerful army and king come against it. They put the siege works up against the walls of the city. Now there lived in that city, a man, poor but wise. Very important words. And he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. Interesting story. And why did it amaze Koalath so much? Why did it cause him to stop and consider it? Because he sees some aspects of wisdom here he's never seen. He sees a saving wisdom at a level he's never seen. We're not told how the wise man used his wisdom to put off the king that was attacking them, but he did. He, it was a powerful, saving wisdom that saved the city that day, and he is duly impressed with the wisdom that was on display. But that was only the beginning part. What was interesting to him, I think, is that it was a serving wisdom. What's the adjective that's used to describe in that little story, the wise man? Do you remember what it was? He's poor. And Koaleth had never seen a wise man poor in that culture. Wise people wouldn't be poor. They were good with their money, and they were good at monetizing it. Remember, if you read Ecclesiastes, koaleth he's amassed great riches. He's king of Jerusalem. He's powerful. He's rich. He's a man of means. He's used his wisdom well to get stuff. And then he encounters a wisdom of a man that didn't use it to dominate others, but to serve others. And there's a humility in this wise man that he's never seen in a wise person. So there's a saving wisdom, there's a serving wisdom, and this is the one I think if you know anything about this philosopher four weeks in, you probably guessed this one, there's a forgetting wisdom. This is probably what bothered him the most. This wise man, this poor wise man, saves the city saves the entire city, and they quickly, viciously forget him. Says nobody remembered the poor man. The poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer. The people turned on him. They hated him. Okay, Jonathan, how does this apply in 2018 to me today? This is beautiful. So part of my study on Ecclesiastes, I've read a man named Sinclair Ferguson. And he wrote a commentary on Ecclesiastes. And he pauses around the story and he wrote these words, and I had to stop writing this week when I read them. Here's what he said. God has placed testimonies in his presence throughout our our lives. Throughout every human being's lives, there's testimonies, pictures of God's presence. So that there's no place we can escape his reality. And the words of Ecclesiastes 9, 13-16 read almost like a prophecy. Whose name most naturally comes to you when you think of a poor man full of wisdom who became a savior but whose life and teaching were rejected? The man the philosopher saw was a reflection of the man that goes beyond any philosophical argument. It is wisdom itself, the true, poor, wise men who would become the savior. It's a reflection of Jesus right in this passage. And he's seeing this, and he's never seen wisdom like this. Someone who would be despised, and who would rescue and save, who is wise beyond capacity. And the New Testament would describe the cross as the wisdom of God confounding people. How could this be a way to free all of humanity from the attack and the siege of our own brokenness, our own injustices? And yet here we see this. It's an echo. It's a reflection of the greater wisdom. See, we don't have a God above the sun who looks down and says, listen, there are injustices in life, and you know what? Deal with it. Deal with the random ones. Deal with the absolute ones. God doesn't say that. God did something about it. God wasn't a big talker, and that's all he was. God stepped into the injustice. And the gospel would describe it this way, that every one of us had forgotten God. The Bible would say it this way, we had done, turned our own way. Some of us, even some of us who are religious, we have a tendency to keep forgetting him. We tip our hat to him. Maybe at a meal time when we pray and give thanks. We tip our hat to him as we head out the door, but we live our lives the way we want to live our lives. And because we had forgotten him, because we had turned away from the only permanent thing in this world, we all became temporary. Because we had turned away from the only thing that lasts forever, we became forgettable. And we all know it. The worst thing in the world is to be forgotten, isn't it? When people forget you? Why do we work so hard? Why do we put uh, gravestones up? Because we want people to be remembered. We want to be remembered. Why do we talk about our loved ones who've gone on before us? And we, we have Pastor Keith and Esther and I and Shelley were just talking about Pastor Yates and Don and so many people in this church who contributed over the years. Why do we do that? Because, because we want their memory to live on. We don't want to be forgotten. Isn't it maybe the worst thing is, you know, one of the worst things is when when you're invited somewhere and people forgot you were coming. That's how unimportant you were. But he sent his son Jesus into the world. And from the cross, he didn't give us a philosophical argument. He didn't give us an argument that why belief is better than unbelief when you're trying to reconcile injustice in this world. He didn't do that. You know what he said from that cross? He said, my God, my God, why have you forgotten me? And God's cosmic forgottenness was poured out on Jesus. The wrath of God was satisfied in that moment. He got what we deserved. He was forsaken by his enemies. He was forsaken by his friends. He was forsaken by his father. If you get nothing from Ecclesiastes, know this from the beginning of the book to the end. It is saying this. If you live life like this life is all there is, if you live life under the sun, that's your destiny too, forgottenness. But the story of God is that Jesus was forgotten so you could be remembered. In fact, the writer of Isaiah said it this way, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she is born? Though she may forget, God says, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. How can God say he'll never forget you? Because your forgottenness was put on Jesus. So that when God, when you place your faith in Jesus and God looks down on you, thumbs up. Thumbs up. So friend, if you've been journeying these last number of weeks, or even this is your first weekend with us, and maybe you find yourself sitting in the seat of the skeptic, I've been there. I know that seat well. I would encourage you, this is not just about a mental argument. It's not about knowing something. It is truly about knowing someone. It is about being in relationship with God in the person of Jesus. Because We've all forgotten God and gone our own way. But God made a way through Jesus that we could be connected to life above the Son. Eternity and creation, God the Father. But I know this is true too. Even if you're a Christian here, you have a tendency to forget Jesus. We all do. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 103 said, You bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Why did he say that? Because we will over and over Listen, if you're here and you've been rejected by someone and you're in a place of despair and hopelessness and you've been rejected by a family member, you've been rejected by someone you love, you've been rejected by a son or a daughter, you've been rejected by someone else, friend, 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 you're forgetting Jesus. The only one whose opinion matters, the only one that is permanent, the only one that loves forever promised you, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you, I won't forget you. Don't forget Jesus. Don't forget Jesus. If you're here and maybe you're, you're, you're a young mom and you're not getting much sleep at night, that baby just won't sleep through the night. Maybe you're at work and you're just tired, you're worn out. Don't forget Jesus. Have you, have you forgotten that he said, come to me? All of you who are weak and weary, Listen, I will give you rest. I will. Are you in trouble? Are troubles starting to pile up in the financial realm or pile up in the relational realm or or legal trouble? Whatever it is, are you in trouble? Have you forgotten Jesus? That he's an ever-present help in time of need? See, friends, for those of us who follow Jesus already, We tend to make him our last resort instead of our first resource. He is your lover of your soul. When he looks on you, he is a thumbs up towards you, not because of your record. Because if it was our record, none of us are good enough. That's the beautiful thing I love about Christianity. All the perfect people left a long time ago. It's only the sick and the wounded and those who acknowledge that they are not perfect that have a way in. It's imperfect people serving a perfect God that changes the injustices in this world. So friends, don't forget Jesus. Don't forget him. He was forgotten, so you would never be forgotten. You can place your trust in Jesus. So that's why we're making such a big deal out of Alpha these days. And if you're a skeptic, Pastor Dan mentioned it, I'd encourage you to find yourself there. But here's my challenge to my church family. If you're a follower of Jesus, Ecclesiastes teaches us how important eternity is and how frustrating this life can be without the knowledge of life everlasting. I want to encourage you, if that's you, to invite someone to be with you and come with you to Alpha this fall at Agent Court or at Clearly, whichever works for you. So can I pray for you, friends? Uh, Let's stand right across this room, if you would. Our band's going to come, and they're going to sing a song in a moment. And for some of you, it's going to give you an opportunity to worship. I really feel strongly, some of you, just to quiet your soul. Don't forget Jesus. Don't forget him. He doesn't forget you. And, and once I'm done praying, I invite our prayer team and elders and those that are in the house just to be available. Because I felt all week there's a, there's a lot of us going through some injustice in our own life right now. Don't leave here until you leave it here. Don't leave here unless you have somebody to pray and agree with you. See, I, here's the th- reality of when Jesus is in your life. We have the natural war we live in, life under the sun. But we have a supernatural reality in Jesus, life above the sun. He is able to do what we cannot do. Get Jesus in on what needs to be done. He's powerful. And at His name, strongholds are demolished. At His name, people are restored. At His name, people are healed. How powerful. Have you made Him too small, friends? Have you made Him too much in your own image? Have you limited what god can do in your life take off the limiter allow jesus to get at work at what he can do get out of the way he's the stronger partner father i bless your people today as much as i love this group of people you love them god and you know them In this big host of people, you know each individual. You know our thoughts right now in our minds. And God, I pray for my friends right now. Firstly, I'm praying for those who are followers of Jesus. And we have a tendency to forget you. God, help us to remember. Remember over and over, you are an ever-present help in time of need. You are a friend that sticks closer than the closest brother we have. God, you are not Fair weather, you'll never leave us, Jesus. You'll never forsake us. You'll never find us in a bad moment in our lives and, and try to distance yourself from us. You'll never get so embarrassed of our behavior that you'll try to just move away to the side because I don't want to be associated. No, 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 you stand in front of us, God. Jesus, we acknowledge you today and we just say thank you for being there. Thank you for loving the way you do. Thank you for being so gracious towards us. And Jesus, maybe most of all, thank you for being so patient with us. God, how many times do we do the same thing and get the same outcome and somehow wish it all changed and became different through our own willpower? God, we acknowledge today that you are supernatural, you are powerful. You are able to do exceeding abundantly more than we could ask or even imagine. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord Jesus. And powerful is his name. We bring you to the front of our eyes and we magnify you this morning. And God, I pray for my friends in this room that maybe are not following you. But Lord, maybe your spirit is speaking to them today. And God, even with not all of our questions fully satisfied, because it's a process, it's a journey, it's a relationship. I think there are some here, though, that there's enough for you to begin following Jesus. And so I'd invite you, if that's you, you can, you can pray a simple prayer. Jesus, I own my own junk today. I have done unjust things to others. I've even done unjust things to myself, things that damaged me. And God, I see that I've done things that have hurt your heart. Because you created me, you have a purpose for my life. And when my life is aligned with your purpose, it's good, it's good. So God, would you fill me with Jesus' spirit today? Would you forgive me of the wrongs I've done? And would you guide me into the life that you designed me to live? I submit to my creator today. In Jesus' name, amen. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.